RTL Original Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Luxembourg History Podcast. My name's Tom Tutton and I'm your host for our second series. Today we're taking a trip outside the box to look at some of Luxembourg's musical traditions. We'll examine the roots of Luxembourg's national and royal anthems before hearing the tale of de Blanantes, one of the country's most venerated musicians. We hope you'll enjoy the podcast. To start us off then, we'll be looking at the story behind Luxembourg's patriotic hymns, the national anthem Ons Himmelst, or Our Homeland, as well as the Grand Ducal Anthem de Wilhelmus. So the Luxembourg poet Michel Lenz wrote the words to Ons Himmelst in 1859, It was set to music by the composer Jean-Antoine Zinnen in 1864 and first performed on 5th of June that year in Ettelburg, where the Alzette and Sauer rivers meet, and indeed, both are mentioned in the song. In 1895, it was adopted as the de facto national anthem, with its status as a national emblem formalised by law in 1993, when the first and last stanzas of the song were recognised as the official national anthem. So go the basic facts but what is the significance of the anthem? In his 2014 book Anthem Quality, Australian literary critic Christopher Kellen writes that anthems are held in common as sacred or nearly sacred by national subjects. Kellen's point is that the music and words of an anthem are not merely reflections of the nation, they help to create our sense of what the nation is and what it means to us. When Lentz wrote Ons Heimest in 1859, therefore, he was not merely coining a patriotic poem, he was myth-making. His words explicitly evoke the joy at Luxembourg gaining its independence 20 years earlier, in 1839, celebrating freedom's sun in glory glow. But they also implicitly conjure up an image of a timeless Luxembourg, a nation which has thrown off its foreign yoke in order to restore our native land which ranks deeply in our hearts. Writing in 1989, Sepp Simon, a researcher in Luxembourg, highlighted that the significance of Lenz's words lay not only with their content, but also with the language in which he chose to write. Luxembourgish has long been the vernacular tongue spoken by the ordinary people of the territory, but at times has faced oppression or become a symbol of national resistance. By choosing to write in Luxembourgish, argues Simon, Lenz was making a conscious political act. Alongside other 19th century writers such as Edmond de La Fontaine, whose father was Luxembourg's first prime minister, and Michel Rodange, author of Renet, Luxembourg's most famous fable, and the subject of another of our podcasts in this series, Lentz was deliberately asserting a Luxembourgish culture and nation as distinct from its powerful French and German-speaking neighbours. As Kellen puts it, the words and particular language of an anthem, when set to music and sung collectively, become more than just a song or symbol of national pride. They become the soul of the nation. But Ons Himmelst is not Luxembourg's only national song. There is a second and in fact much older anthem which Luxembourg has owing to its existence as a Grand Duchy. This anthem is the royal as opposed to national anthem of Luxembourg and is used whenever a member of the Grand Ducal family enters or leaves an official ceremony. It has a common origin with the Dutch national anthem of the same name and is thought to date back to at least the 16th century. It is believed to be based on a trumpet call or cavalry fanfare and is therefore rooted in the militaristic traditions of early modern Europe. The melody became more explicitly associated with the Grand Ducal family in the late 19th century, around the same period as Ons Hemisht was being popularised. 
1883, when Dutch King William III and Queen Emma visited Luxembourg, the melody was performed as part of a march. Some years later, Grand Duke Adolf was greeted by a medley of De Wilhelmus and Ons Himmels, establishing the two melodies as synonymous with both the Grand Ducal family and the nation. De Wilhelmus also became associated with words composed by Luxembourg poet Nicolas Nick Welter for the marriage of Grand Duchess Charlotte to Prince Felix in 1919. Welter described the words, which were first performed alongside the melody at the Te Deum of 23rd of January 1920 by the Cathedral Choir, as an anthem for the House of Luxembourg Nassau Bourbon. Unlike the words to Ons Himmelst, De Wilhelmus is royalist in tone rather than purely a celebration of the nation. It calls for the House of Luxembourg to stand hand in hand with the people of the nation, as together they perform their duty for throne and country. In this way, it melds the institutions of the Grand Duchy with the people of the Luxembourg land, suggesting no outside forces shall remove this strong trunk on ancient soil. So, how are the anthems seen today? Well, Ons Himmelst is a commonplace symbol of Luxembourg's national identity, playing much the same role as national anthems do for other modern nation states. Whether that's roaring renditions of La Marseillaise on Bastille Day in France, or boozy recreations of God Save the Queen at appearances of the English football or rugby teams, indeed, on a typical national day, it is performed in ceremonies such as during the military parade through the capital. It also habitually appears on state occasions, as when Prince Guillaume and Countess Stephanie de Lannoy married in Notre Dame Cathedral in October 2012. Whether it's being sung on football terraces or at royal gatherings, then. Luxembourg's national anthem has become part of the tapestry of the nation. Oh, and you'd like to know how Ons Himmelst goes? Well, you don't want to hear me singing it, but here's a translation of the lyrics: Where the Alzette through meadows flows, and pebbles the sour mow, along the Moselle bloom the vines, as heaven gifts us wine. This is the land for honour whose no ordeal proves too great. Our homeland, which could never lose, our hearts rank and rate. Although above, whose powerful hand makes states or lays them low, protect this Luxembourger land from foreign yoke and woe. Your spirit of liberty bestow on us now as of yore. Let freedom's sun in glory glow, for now and evermore. So, what are Luxembourg's other musical traditions? Well, the most important of them stem from a blind violinist known as De Blanentes, who could be considered the founding father of Luxembourgish folk music. While he most likely never wrote any songs himself, he was one of the first to collect and play popular songs in Luxembourgish, and thus contributed greatly to the development of a sort of national consciousness. So, who was this man? Matthias Schou was born on the 30th of March 1747 in Grevenmacher. While his birth certificate has been lost to time, a certificate of his baptism does still exist. In Luxembourg, though, he's mostly known by the pseudonym De Blanentes, which literally translates to Blind Tays. Tays being a common abbreviation of his first name, Matthias. It should be pointed out that it actually states on his certificate of baptism that he was malvoyant, which means that he did not see well. So the extent of his blindness is up for debate. Depending on the source, you may sometimes find his name being cited as Matthias Gelhausen, but this is a mistake and stems from a confusion between him and another blind musician from Grevenmacher called Johann Gelhausen or Blanopuli. On a very peculiar side note, it actually appears that there were a lot of blind musicians around at the time. Some others include Blanemerten, actually Martin Holweg from Vianden, 
or Blanenditchen, whose name and life remain unknown. As mentioned before, Taze was a wandering musician. At the time, they were quite popular entertainers and were often hired to perform during weddings or other private events. They also played in farmers' markets and town fairs all throughout the country in order to entertain people. In a way, you could think of them as the DJs of pre-industrialized Europe, just without the bass drops. Now, not much is known about Taze's private life, but we do know that he was married twice. First, to a woman called Margareta Kummer, whom he allegedly referred to as Mimi Great, and after she died to his second wife, Barbara Kramer, called Barber. Both of them joined him on his travels, as did his dog. Taze's act consisted of him playing the violin and singing his songs while his wife danced to them. De Blanen Taze was one of the first in Luxembourg to systematically collect folk songs in Luxembourgish. And this makes him quite a significant figure, not only culturally, but also for the overall spread and development of the Luxembourgish language, as the most popular folk songs of the time were all in German. His repertoire included classics of Luxembourgish folk music, such as De Klinge Menschen and Den Aim Steffen. The songs he sang allow us to catch a glimpse of life in Luxembourg during the 19th century. The lyrics tell the story of a rural population, and they deal with family affairs, religion, nature, and even the Luxembourg's affinity for alcoholic beverages. For example, Zu Aral op der Knipschen, or On the Little Hill in Arlon, focuses in particular on the parties women seem to celebrate in Arlon, and how they trick their husbands into giving them more wine by pretending to be sick. The song is also known and popular in the Belgian province of Luxembourg, and the bells of the Saint-Donat church situated on the famous Knipschen in Arlon play the well-known melody every hour. Vice and virtue are, however, often not far apart, and songs like Etwa er Mädchen vor Götzen, or There Was Once a Girl from Götzingen, show us the extent to which the Catholic Church had a tight grip on society at the time. The lyrics tell the story of a young woman who liked to party and in general lived a quite promiscuous lifestyle. When she wanted to find a husband, however, not one man wanted to settle down with her. And the song ends with the very patronising message that young women should learn from the girl from Götzingen and make sure they live lives deemed more appropriate at the time. Most songs were nevertheless meant to entertain, and the stories they told were often very humorous. More in the spirit of Zuarel ob der Knipschen was, for instance, Den Aim Steffen, a song about a farmer who wants to sell wood for 10 coins a package in Luxembourg City. In a somewhat depressingly hilarious simile to our own time, the people of the capital complain about the steep prices he offers and send him home. There, the farmer's wife and his 14 children wait for him, and he has to confess that he was not able to sell any wood. The song then ends with Stefan's wife beating her husband up, in an ending that wouldn't be found quite so funny these days. And Thaise's life ended fairly tragically too. Thaise had to retire at 65 years of age as his health slowly deteriorated. Despite being the son of quite important and wealthy parents, he himself ended up very poor towards the end of his life, and had to be supported with food and clothing by the hospice in Gravenmacher. And he eventually died without a penny in his pocket on the 17th of October 1824 in Aish. De Blanentes became famous throughout the entire country thanks to the help of one of Luxembourg's most famous authors. Edmund de la Fontaine, known as Dix, which is a perfectly innocent name in Luxembourgish, made him the subject of his poem De Blanentes. Dix was also gifted the only portrait of Thais in 1851 by someone called Jean-Pierre Chaud, very likely a family member of Thais. The author later left the portrait in his will to the National Museum. 
Taze also appeared in other monumental works of Luxembourgish literature, such as Renert by Michel Rodange. While his significance and popularity eventually increased in the context of an emerging Luxembourgish national identity, it did take some time for him to get any sort of recognition. Historian Jean Welter mentions in his book Auf den Spuren des Planentes that a weekly publication on national literature wrote about Thays in 1869 saying that he was an old blind fogey before going on to shred his performances in very colourful language, calling them unclean and without any poetical decorum or higher appeal. Other publications did not hold back either, and while most of them insisted that he was completely forgotten, or as one priest put it, the best thing about his poetical creations is that they have been lost to the ocean of oblivion, they all seem to have a hard time not writing about him. Despite all of that, Thais has become without a doubt one of Luxembourg's most recognisable historical figures. His songs remain popular to this day and are sung by schoolchildren and drunkards at local wine festivals alike. His hometown Grevenmacher has also not forgotten its blind musician, and a statue of the violinist by artist Will Loffy has found its place in the city's pedestrian zone. That's all we've got for today. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next episode of the Luxembourg History Podcast. This episode was based on articles by Tom Weber and Brendan McClintock-Ryan, script adaptation and hosting by Thomas Tutton, and brought to you by RTL Today.